open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. A universal condition that results from aging, presbyopia, quite simply is a fact of life which can be quite unsettling. That 40-year-old patient with 20-20 vision and a chief complaint of sudden, unexplained vision loss usually isn't ready to hear what I'm about to tell them, and I'm steadily approaching that milestone myself. Given that presbyopia will affect everyone eventually, this condition represents a major unmet need in ophthalmology. In recent years, thankfully, an increasing number of treatments and technologies have been developed to aid our presbyopia-correcting pursuits. To learn more about options available to us, I spoke to Dr. Greg Parkhurst, a successful refractive surgeon, to learn more about his experience. Greg shares insights into his practice, including his approaches to various patient groups, and discusses three milestones in vision development. We'll also hear from Greg on finding those perfect unicorn patients in the quest to correct presbyopia. Here's Greg. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. Thank you all for joining us today for another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. This is Gary Wirtz. And uh, today we have Dr. Greg Parkhurst with us. Greg is uh, from San Antonio, Texas and practices at uh, Parkhurst New Vision. And Greg and I have had some great conversations over the past year or so and always enjoy getting his perspectives on sort of the new latest and greatest techniques and so, Greg, thank you for joining us today, and today we're going to talk about the raindrop, but before we get into that, give us a little bit of an um, overview of your experience as a young ophthalmologist who's sort of um, out there um, doing lots of good things. Tell us a little bit about your practice, and then we'll get into talking a little bit more about the raindrop. Yeah, absolutely, Gary. Well, well thanks so much for inviting me to join you on this. Um, you know, as far as, um, as far as my practice, it, I, I'm primarily, I'm a refractive surgeon. So, um, you know, I, I address almost or approach almost every patient I see with kind of my refractive surgery hat on. So that includes all patients. Um, you know, if, if they're kids, I think about them in terms of where they are and their ocular maturity growth and when they're going to uh, become eligible for a procedure when they're, when they're old folks and they have cataracts already, I have. I approach their cataract treatment plan from the perspective of how to give them the best quality of vision and least need for glasses. Certainly for all the, the patients in kind of the LASIK and presbyopic demographic, we're, we're always looking at solutions to give best quality of vision at the same time, hopefully not have to be dependent on glass and contact lenses. Um, so we practice in San Antonio. Um, it's a lot of refractive surgery. Uh, I would say the practice is about 50% cataract, um, but uh, almost all of those are, are refractive in nature. Um, and then the other 50% of the practice is devoted to laser refractive surgery, phacic IOLs, inlays, refractive lensectomy, and so forth. Also, we do a lot of work with optometry. So my, my practice is actually physically connected to the optometry college in San Antonio. It's called the University of Incarnate Word. And uh, it's a newer OD school. Um, it's only been around about, I think this is their seventh year now. And uh, we have four optometry students, fourth years, rotate through our practice uh, full time. They spend about a month. Um, and it's now a mandatory in-house rotation for every graduating student to spend a month in the refractive surgery practice. So they, you know, they get to see all the pre and post-op care. They 
they see the procedures done. And um, so there's a lot of, a lot of teaching going on in the optometric um, perspective. And then also a lot of our, our patients are coming uh, via optometric referral. So I would say a good large majority of the patients uh, that are sent for cataract treatment are, are co-managed with uh, optometrists in the community um, and, a, and a good portion of the refractive surgery as well. So that's, that's kind of a quick overview of the practice. Well, that's great. And that's, you're in a very enviable position with uh, lots of refractive cataract and lots of corneal refractive surgery and opportunities. And also, I think, opportunities to teach. I think that's, that's, that's really great. Um, but obviously, with this type of a practice, there's a huge unmet need that's being, um, I guess, attempted to be met in multiple ways. And that's the, the unmet need of, of presbyopia, which we know is really the, the largest disease, if you want to call it a disease, um, in the world with every patient who reaches, uh, you know, 40 to 50 getting it in both of their eyes. So, uh, we know that presbyopia is a huge unmet need. Um, I think as ophthalmologists, um, maybe in the past, we've, we've sort of downplayed this as a disease. We've downplayed this as an unmet need and we've just sort of put it in the corner of, you know, go get reading glasses. That's not that big of a deal. And at least at least that's that's the way some of our profession approaches presbyopia. But it seems like others are really willing to push the envelope whether that's with multifocal lenses, extended depth of focus lenses, monovision, uh, surgical options. And now we find ourselves even with a new category of solution, which is the inlays. And we know that camera has, has launched and um, a lot, lots of surgeons are, are doing that and experiencing good results with camera. Uh, we also know there's lots of multifocal and other lenses that are coming out. But I want to talk a little bit about raindrop, which is seems to be another type of inlay, not like the camera, different mechanism of action. And maybe it, it has some distinct advantages um, and perhaps some disadvantages. So Greg, I'd really like to I'd like to approach this, if you will let me, as a skeptic, um, and and not to be cruel or unusual, you know. <laughs> but I want I want to kind of really get at the meat of why you like raindrop or what your experience has been with raindrop, and who are those patients, and and how do you make that decision between um, maybe doing a different procedure or different technology, and where does raindrop fit into your practice? So with with all that preamble. Let's just start by saying, give me the ideal patient for a raindrop. Um, you, you probably have lots of patients who maybe could go either way with different technologies, but who is the patient that walks into your office and you say, all right, this is going to be a great patient for a raindrop, no question about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and there's there's an immediate picture that comes to mind when you ask me that question, and next, and it's and it's actually a unicorn. Uh, we <laughs> we uh, we we actually joke in the office about. All right, we found one. It's the it's the raindrop unicorn. Okay, um, tell me about the raindrop uh, unicorn. So, so there's there's camera unicorns too. Okay, uh, but but the the raindrop unicorn is an early presbyope. So they're probably mid forties, and they're a little bit hyperopic. And they've never had refractive surgery before. Okay. Um, so what we've what we found with raindrop is that these patients do best when they have a little bit of of pre-existing hyperopia. So in fact, the the ideal existing refraction in my practice is about plus one uh, sphere. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. In, in my experience, the, the camera unicorns are are uh, also never had surgery before, but they, their existing refraction is slight myopia. 
Right. Um, so, so what, and, and what I mean by kind of unicorn means we can just do one procedure. We're not combining it with anything else. All they need is this inlay and, and that pre-existing refraction needs to apply. Um, the other thing is that these patients can't be uh, too far into dysfunctional lens syndrome. So we, whether they're camera patients or raindrop patients, we're, we're doing HD analyzer scans. Um, and ideally, we like to see the optical scatter index score uh, uh, less than 1.0. Um, now, we, we see plenty of patients that come in with, with just presbyopia, maybe they're 60 or up, but usually their OSI score is going to be greater than one, and, and we consider those patients to be better refractive lens exchange patients. It sounds like the HD analyzer then is really a decision gate for you all in terms of go, no-go, inlay versus a lens-based procedure. Fair? It is, absolutely. So. Um, we're, we're really glad we have the HD analyzer. We, we got it primarily when we started doing camera, um, but not so much as a centration. To, I mean, it's used for centration of the camera. But as you mentioned, even more importantly, it's a screener. Um, and, and I've actually been surprised getting used to using that technology, how many patients out there have preclinical cataracts. I mean, you look at the, at, at the slit lamp and you're like, oh, man, this lens doesn't really impress me in terms of its you know, cataract nature. But then you put them in the HD analyzer and you see all this light scatter and you kind of and you kind of hear from them why it is they're talking about their night vision's not as good. They need more light to read. You know, their visual acuity when they're looking at, you know, sometimes at slide presentations if, if they're in a business that requires, you know, PowerPoint. Um, and then you can, you can kind of understand from the patient's perspective why they're talking about their vision not being as good. But yet we don't really see an obvious cataract yet. So. So yeah, we're using HD analyzer a lot. You know, it, it's not a, it, it it's not a tool that says you know you're a candidate for surgery or not, but it's a tool that says which procedure fits your eye the best. Right. Um, because you know we 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 look at every patient from the perspective of what we've been calling in the refractive surgery alliance. We're we're calling the three milestones of vision development. Uh, the first milestone is ocular maturity. Um, that means it's a full grown adult. They're their vision or their myopia is no longer increasing, their, their prescription is stable, along with full-grown adulthood, and there's a set of procedures most applicable uh, to fixing oc ocular maturity. Second one, presbyopia. Um, and now it's great that we have uh, a couple of inlays and another one coming down the pipeline soon uh, to add to our toolbox to address that second milestone of vision development. Um, and then the third one, of course, is cataracts. Um, so the, the beauty of it is we have procedures, a total of seven now, so there's seven procedures out there to address the three milestones of vision development. Um, and and the, the raindrop as well as the camera inlay are very important parts of that, of that treatment plan. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your experience with, you said there's, there's a camera, uh, unicorn, those, those ideal patients tend to be more myopic. The raindrop uh, ideal patient more on the hyperopic side. Mm. Will you use um, those 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 inlays in that way, if you just find someone who's a little more myopic, you may switch over to using a, a camera, whereas if they're a little more on the hyperopic side, um, is that a decision tree for you as well, kind of where, where their baseline refraction is, or will you just go ahead and touch them up with the laser and use the, the inlay that you prefer? So I do use uh, pre-existing refraction to, to help point, direct me towards which inlay I'm going to use. And uh, if, they're if they're low hyperopes, they're great raindrop patients. 
Um, now, it turns out there's a lot more low hyperopic unicorns out there feeling the pain of presbyopia just by definition. Sure, sure. So a younger sense. low hyperope is going to manifest their presbyopia in a more significant way at a younger age, so you know, pre-stage 2 dysfunctional lens syndrome. Uh, the low myopes are kind of functioning a little better, so they tend to present a little a little older if they have myopia. Uh, but yeah, we we do we do use that as as a tool to help guide us. And you know, one of the things another thing that's different about the two inlays right now is that camera is is widely used in combination with laser vision correction. So you can you know you can do a LASIK to treat astigmatism or whatever the refractor refractive error is, and then go ahead and add a camera to that. I predict that in the future that will likely be the mainstream way of using the raindrop as well, but um, but the raindrop is a little bit further back in time and development in terms of working out the details of combining it with laser vision correction. So um, so far we are we are not combining uh, the raindrop with laser vision correction. They need to be you know just according to FDA approvals. They need to be ideally emetropolo hyperope, uh, haven't had prior surgery and or otherwise a great corneal laser vision correction candidate. So one other one other question is, what is your depth of your pocket that you're using? I know with the camera, um, there was some, you know, over the years that kind of evolved. So what, what depth are you using for your pocket? So for, for pockets with cameras, we want to go about two-thirds de- deep in the cornea at least. Um, with, uh, with Raindrop, uh, we're actually still doing it under a flap, which is also with the FDA approval. So, um, you know, I've been involved in the what is currently the pseudophagic clinical trial for Raindrop, and with those pseudophagic patients, we are we are investigating using a pocket. But uh, that's another one that hasn't hasn't been completely worked out yet in terms of uh, using Raindrop with a pocket. So it's primarily done in a flap. Um, and the most common flap thickness I'm using with raindrop is 180 microns, so it's a pretty thick flap. Okay, so it's a little, de- it's it's a thicker flap than than we would, I guess, typically use. I'm using like a 110 mm-hmm. flap right now with with my LASIK patients, so it's a thicker flap, but it's not a pocket. Correct. Yep. Now in the in the pseudophagic clinical trial that I alluded to, we're targeting two thirds um, depth in the cornea, um, and and we're still seeing that the raindrop has good effect. Um, up, up to about uh, between 200 and 220 microns deep. Um, but, you know, I think you mentioned early on in the conversation that, you know, camera has obviously a different mechanism of action with, with kind of that pinhole depth of focus versus, versus the, um, the raindrop is creating a profocal cornea by making that little central bump. Right. So the deeper you go with raindrop, I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's a depth where you don't get the same effect. So, um, so we're, you know, you want to get it deep enough to, you know, to get below as many keratocytes as you can to limit uh, risk of haze, but yet you can't go so deep that you start to lose the effect of the inlay. I got you. You know, as I was kind of doing a little bit of research on this, uh, you know, this is interesting because this is not a refractive lens as we would typically think about that. Am I correct in saying that there's really no refractive power? It's basically a hydrogel that's that's basically like a soft contact lens, almost 80% water, and it's the same index of refraction as the cornea, or at least similar. So it's almost like it's almost like we're adding tissue to the cornea to to make a little profocal or multifocal bump, and it almost reminds me in some way of the old Crystal Lens HD, where they kind of had that bump on the on the surface. Is that a correct assessment? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or the other thing it's is similar to is some of some of the old like if you were ever using LADAR wave in the past, they had that issue doing LASIK with central leaving central islands. 
Right. Uh, it's almost like that, where it's actually it's a, it's it's increasing spherical aberration to increase increase depth of focus by creating this hyperprolate cornea centrally. Right. Um, but the the bump is only two millimeters in diameter, so that the peripheral cornea is still focused at distance, and then there's kind of a transition zone in between for intermediate vision. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Now, now it does work extremely well. One of the things that that we've been excited about is that even on post-op day one. The patients are reading J1, J1 plus. Um, so I don't, I don't think we often saw that with crystal lens, um, where the distance vision can be excellent and the very close near vision can be J1 plus. So there's, there's, uh, there's a little more to it than that, um, but, but it works great. So would you consider this a multifocal cornea that you're creating? And if so. You know, I know there's there's at least some question out there about glare and halos and the other type of multifocal symptoms. Tell me about your experience with that with your with your post ops. So surprisingly, glare and halos have been minimal to none. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I when I started using it, I kind of thought of it as a multifocal optics. And in fact, I even used to talk show patients a model of a multifocal IOL that I had. You know, like a big model, I could show them the rings and say. You know, basically what we're doing is taking this idea and putting it on your cornea. Um, and surely even with the most recent multifocal lenses, which are really good now, we still hear about glares and halos, especially early on in the first two or three months. Um, you really see very, very little of that with raindrop. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, there's only there's only one ring to it, right? I mean, there's not like these diff concentric rings going out in diameter. It's only one. Right. Uh, second thing is that it's only done in the non-dominant eye. So, so the dominant eye is left untouched. The, the distance and quality of vision that eye is, is the same as it always was. Um, and then finally, it's actually, it actually is a different mechanism of action from what you think of with a multifocal. And, and the term that's been coined for this, it's, it's a raindrop term, is profocal. So it's just kind of creating this hyperprolate cornea that's inducing spherical aberration to get a bigger range of focus. And it's not exactly the same kind of mechanism we think of uh, in terms of putting multifocal optics um, in, the, in the IOL or even in the cornea like you think of with Intracore. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I will, I'll be interested to learn more as time goes on um, with that. I, I kind of understand what you're saying, and um, it'll be interesting to kind of see how, how patients do and whether or not we have um, those issues. But I'm glad to hear in your practice, it sounds like it's not really been much of an issue. You know, one, mm -hmm. of, the, one of the things that I have um, in my mind, just as a, a, a question mark, because I've, again, I'm, I've, not, I've not been one who's been diving into this technology. I've not done camera and I've not done uh, raindrop yet. I'm kind of considering it, but I'm still in that questioning phase. Why not just use your laser? You know, why not just use your uh, eczema laser to create a monovision effect? Um, we all know that monovision or, or creating a, a, um, a steeper cornea with your eczema laser is prone to not quite as, as much um, accuracy and long-term effect as, um, you know, obviously flattening the cornea with a myopic treatment. But nevertheless, you have a great tool that can reshape the cornea What's the, what is in your mind, why do you maybe default or why do you, would you go with the raindrop over just using your eczema to create a monovision um, effect in the, in the non-dominant eye? Well, there, there's a lot of people out there that don't like monovision. Um, so it, it's not necessarily a default. You know, we, we still offer monovision. 
so for you know, for example, for those for those patients who know they like monovision, you know, for example, they've been wearing monovision contacts for years and they just don't want the hassle anymore. Um, those are great monovision LASIK patients. Um, but for those patients that never did really like monovision or don't like the idea of the trade-off where they're giving up their distance to get back there near, um, this is a technology that's reversible, can be also be done on the cornea, um, and you get back the near without having to give up distance. Um, well, and I guess and, that's I guess that's the the real the key to it. Then, so do you feel like your patients are how much how much distance vision? Are patients giving up, if any, with raindrop? Are they losing a line or two, or is it like they're not giving up any distance vision and just gaining the near? So binocularly, they give up zero lines of distance. In the in the eye treated, on average, they give up one, but they gain five lines of near. So there's a huge there, there's a huge benefit in terms of what they got versus what they gave up. And if gotcha. you look at monovision, it's more like a one-to-one -one line. Like you, you basically trade one line of distance to get one line in ear. Here you get five and give up only one in the treated eye, but both eyes open, you haven't given up anything. So, you know, patients are able to fuse that with their dominant eye. They, they still see as they always did. Their non-dominant eye, they gave up almost nothing in the distance, but they got back all this near. What patients tell me when we, we've trialed, we, you know, we, we do demonstrations of monovision before we do that with LASIK. We've been doing that for years. We... Um, and what we heard back from patients that when we were doing this kind of monovision or blended vision demo is a lot of them would say, you know what, I, this is fine for my near, but I don't really like that I had to give up my distance vision to get there. I still feel a little bit out of whack with this. Right. Um, so for those patients that don't like that about monovision, this can be a great option. So this is something you say that patients really adapt to quickly. They give up maybe a line in their non-dominant eye gain five lines and fairly well accepted in your practice? Mm -hmm. Extremely well. Okay. Um, in fact, the just even the message that something out there exists for presbyopia has driven a lot of people in our doors. Um, you know, there's there's so many myths out there about refractive surgery. Basically, you know, the, the whole market thinks that refractive surgery is just LASIK. Right. So the market does not know that there's even other things. You know, there's actually seven procedures that we do, but you know, but our community only knows about the one. Right. So this technology breaks down some of those myths. You know, one of the myths is that oh my, I had LASIK and now I'm presbyopic and my my LASIK wore off and it gave out on me. So I need to get LASIK repeated. Or the other thing that they think is if they get LASIK, they're gonna they're gonna trade their distance for their near and they're gonna still have to be wearing glasses. So one of the nice things about adding the, the raindrop to our, to our technology is just the message to the community that says, hey, guess what, guys? We've got a technology where you don't have to wear reading glasses. You can see both near and far. Works great for, for both. And, and, and they're like, man, I want to know more about that. So what it's done is it's drawn a lot of people into the practice. Some of them end up sticking with the monovision they've been wearing after they hear what the options are. Sure. Some of them, we do an HD analyzer and we see they've got cataracts and we're like, hey, guess what? You know, we've got a solution for that. In this case, it's not going to be raindrop, but we've got an option for you to get what you're after. Um, so it's been a, it's, and, and then for those raindrop unicorns that come in, they are super happy um, because they get their near vision almost immediately. I mean, even a couple hours post-op, they're wow. already reading up close. It really doesn't take long at all. Well, that's, um, that's awesome. So that's spreading word of mouth for the whole for the whole practice. Oh yeah, when you have a when you have a patient who's ha who's experienced a great result early on with a new technology, 
they really become um, your cheerleaders for the practice, and and they're they are invaluable. So one one final question as we kind of wrap up here is, what do your optometrists think about this? Um, is this how have they taken to either co-managing these patients or seeing them postoperatively, or have you had experience with optometrists in the community receiving these patients back? And what has their feedback been, if any? Yeah. So what I found is that especially the the optometry students that that we work with, you know, there there's four of them with us all the time, and they are just super hungry to know about all this technology. Um, it's really amazing to see kind of what they know coming into the rotation. And, you know, ask questions like, you know, are we doing bilateral LASIK these days or is it still one eye at a time? And, uh, and, then, and then to see them just a month later, now they're talking about, okay, well, this patient's perfect for camera and that one's perfect for an RLE and that one's perfect for raindrop. I mean, you know, they know the post-op protocols and they know what to watch for and they know how to manage dry eye. Um, so it's just a really exciting time in refractive surgery to see, you know, uh, buy-in by the ODs that are that are excited to offer the latest and greatest to their patients to be a trusted resource where they can hear about you know everything that might might benefit them in their vision. Um, so so our experience with the optometrists is that they're they're hungry to learn more about all these techniques. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great. Well, at the end of the day, if it's good for patients, that is that's what we all desire, you know. It, and it doesn't matter the the initials after the end of your name. If if you're providing good patient care, uh, that's that's a huge win, and that's why we all decided to uh, go into this wonderful field. So, Greg, uh, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your early experience. I know this is going to be very beneficial. Uh, for me personally, but I'm sure for a lot of others who are kind of figuring out, all right, is it time to jump into the corneal inlay um, field? So once again, thanks a lot, Greg. Really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks so much, Gary. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Presbyopia is a growing area of focus for many patients and their doctors. As evidenced by Greg's up-close experience, our solutions for managing presbyopia are growing, as is our understanding of their best uses. Thankfully, we have yet another tool in our belt to help these patients ward off the trappings of Father Time. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Dr. Gary Wirtz. To hear more, visit itube.net backslash podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and stay tuned for more discussions on hot topics in ophthalmology. Thanks for listening. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.